0: Well, today's is an exciting day. We got a guest speaker named Joel Richardson. Uh, come on up, Joel. Um, he's going to be delivering the message today on Palm Sunday. So uh, you're, you're going to be glad you were here. And you guys who are watching online, you'll be glad that you're listening in on what Joel brings today. He's also coming back tonight at 5 to 7 o'clock. And uh, as we discussed at my house, we had him over, he got the... Almost the full Stevenson experience last night with Hazel May and Alexander and the whole gang and first time eating tri-tip and um, so I was, it was a good time last night getting to know him. Uh, but you guys are in for an experience and tonight you will not want to miss coming back. Now let me tell you this, we're not putting it online. You're either here or you miss it, okay? It's one and done. People are getting you too used to ah, oh, I'll just catch it at home, all right? You won't catch it at home, all right? You're going to have to be here to hear what this man has to say about prophecy, especially in today's world. He asked me, what should I go on? I said, let the spirit lead. And, um, and so he is a filmmaker, book writer. He's got books out there. Now, this is how much faith he has. He says, Tim, I really don't push my books. There's no cost. Is there a cost listed up there on the books? Are they $2,000 a piece? Is it? No. Probably about $100,000. $100,000 at least. That's a, that's a Rain Man reference. <laughs> thank <That's> you. A, <laughs> thank you. I told him he used the Rain Man reference the other day in one of his talks. But he says just take the books. If you don't got the money, take a book. If you do got the money, we'll put money in the box. All right? There's a Venmo there too. But after listening to him, I fully suspect that he won't be shipping any books back. So, guys, Mr. Joel Richardson. Well, good morning. Happy Palm Sunday.
1: So most often in churches across the country on Palm Sunday, there's usually a sort of lead up to Easter message. Um, We're going to be talking about the ministry of John the Baptist. No, just kidding. Um, Wearing camel hair and eating locusts. But um, no, actually, we're actually going to talk about the return of Jesus today, so you could say the end times, which is usually not a Palm Sunday message, but personally, I think it's the perfect Palm Sunday message, um, because in so many ways, the what's often referred to as the triumphal entry into Jerusalem, leading up to Easter Sunday, from, in terms of, I mean, the Lord is... The Lord is a fantastic teacher. He's a God of object lessons. He's always telling a story, sort of painting a picture. And in terms of the way the Lord has framed the picture, in all of his divine intricacies of timing, of dates, lining up with biblical holidays, and all these different things, the triumphal procession into Jerusalem is intended to be understood and seen by us as his followers as a mere dress rehearsal a very faint foreshadow of the ultimate triumphal procession that is yet to come. And from a biblical perspective, this is the primary focus of all biblical hope, of all longing, of all yearning, of groaning, of expectation. And so in my opinion, this is something that we should be talking about a lot more. Um, As I said, we'll talk more tonight about some different things. I'm not even 100% sure yet exactly what I'll be talking about, but one thing is for sure, I think for anyone who has their eyes open, as you look out in the, at the world right now, everything is falling into place to cause us to yearn and groan for something much better than this current system, this current age, and so as much as churches often, strangely, and I think very strangely, don't often talk about the return of Jesus very much. They go, like, we believe it, we're waiting for it, it's on our faith statement, but really, for the most part, don't talk about it a lot. Yeah, there's the conferences where you can go talk about the end times, and nowadays they're just getting weird. It's like, is this a Bible prophecy conference or a UFO conference? or you know, like? But from a biblical perspective, just the main and the plain, focusing on our hope biblical hope, the blessed hope, meditating upon, chewing on these things, thinking about these things, talking about them. This is what the Bible refers to in Hebrews as the anchor of hope for our souls. So as the world continues to melt down and get crazy all around us, and we lose things that we thought were stable, we have something that is unshakable, an anchor, and this is what we should be thinking about. That's what's going to get us through the storm. So in many ways, I'm just going to lay out the story or describe the painting, if you will, as the Lord has been making, as he's been painting this painting or telling the story. So we're going to begin with um, the actual account of the triumphal entry. I think it's appropriate that we do start there. Luke 19, 28 through 40. And I just threw this in this morning, by the way. I probably should have used the account from Matthew. Because the account in Luke actually never even mentions the palm branches, and uh, in one of the key phrases. But it's it's good enough. It's um, I'll I'll just insert uh, Matthew's account here. So after Jesus had said these things, oh let me pay attention. So Pastor 9:17, 9:15. I want to be done and off the stage by 10, 10 till 10. Yeah. <laughs> no, there's children. But I uh, see I get lost up here. So about 5 till 10 I'm all done I just want to keep I just want to pay attention I just I get up here and the whole time space continuum just melts yeah but I see you say that but then there's people back in the children's ministry and they're just like when the heck is this jerk gonna get done They don't know who this guest speaker is. Like, I don't know. He was just a jerk. He went over. That's all I know. So, as Jesus said these things, he was going on ahead. He's going up to Jerusalem. I was just in Jerusalem like three days ago. When he had approached Bethphage and Bethany near the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples saying, Go into the village ahead of you there, and when you enter, you'll find a colt tied that no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it, just say, the Lord has need of it. It's kind of like, why are you stealing my Escalade? Yeah, the Lord's got need of it. No problem. Actually, I, we're in California, so that's, that's um, not too far off. So those who were sent away and found it just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owner said to them, why are you untying the colt? The Lord has need of it. And that's it. That just, the story ends. So they brought it to Jesus. And they threw their coats on the colt and they put Jesus on it. And as they were going, they were spreading their coats on the road. Matthew says they were cutting branches, palm branches, thus Palm Sunday, laying it out there, essentially creating a red carpet for the king, making a highway for the king as he enters Jerusalem. And in Matthew, it also says they were shouting, Hosanna to the Son of David. So the inference and the understanding from a first century Jewish mindset. Is that the day would come when the Messiah, who is the promised, prophesied king of Israel, would enter Jerusalem and reestablish the throne of his father David, the Jewish monarchy? Um, All of these promises throughout the prophets, these are not allegorical, they're not just spiritual, they're not mystical. He, he, he has been promised to rule on the throne of his father, David, forever, and literally rule over the earth. So as Christians, we often say, well, what's the good news? You know, we, we, we have a message that for the world. It's called the gospel. And you go, what is the gospel? And usually, Christians will kind of just like cite John three sixteen. well, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son so that whosoever believes in him basically doesn't go to hell. You know, we go to heaven forever. You know, okay, that's good. Elaborate. Well, it's going to be great. Okay, elaborate a little more. Like, it's not going to be horrible in hell. It's going to be great in heaven. We're going to worship forever, you know. But but does the Bible describe it? And here's the thing is, yes, if we were to die today, our spirits, it says we would be with him. But that's not biblical hope. Even those that are in heaven now are waiting. Waiting for what? The day of the Lord, the return of Jesus, the resurrection of the dead. Guys, we get bodies. We get, what was it, tri-tip last night? We get to eat tri-tip. After we die, we get new bodies and we get to eat. And that's good news. Why? Because we like to eat. Because we were created to have taste buds and smell things. We will have glorified, resurrected, immortal eyeballs. You know, in bodies, it's now different than these bodies, right? We don't get old, we don't get sick, we don't die, there is no COVID, there will be no masks, etc. Yeah. on and on. And that's biblical hope, is, is he will rule over the Earth. He didn't just come to save our souls, and all the nations will stream up to Jerusalem. Like there's a very literal story that is told in terms of the promises that are to come. So they're expecting these things. And they were rightly expecting these things. They were not misunderstanding the promises. So they're saying, Hosanna to the king of David. So here, blessed is the king, okay, the king of Israel, according to the words of the prophets, who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven, glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees are all upset. Well, This is not what they taught us in seminary. Teacher, rebuke your disciples. And he goes, if they, don't, if, if they shut up, the rocks are going to cry out, like, All of creation, Paul says, is groaning for this day when the king would be established. The day is coming when corrupt politicians throughout the earth will be put out of office. And it says, he will say, come you who have been faithful over little, take charge over ten cities. Think about that. A new global government structure led by those that have demonstrated throughout their lifetimes that that they are servants of the people which is what every, every position of leadership is intended to be. Okay, so there's the backstory. story. Now I'm going to skip forward to Deuteronomy 33. So the very foundation, Deuteronomy 33, how many people have ever spent a lot of time just really studying Deuteronomy 33? This is the first prophecy, the mother prophecy, the foundation prophecy in the entire Bible for the return of Jesus. Really? All the way back there in Deuteronomy 33. This is called the blessing of Moses. It says, this is the blessing with which Moses, the man of God, blessed the sons of Israel just before he died. Moses' last words, he sort of gives like a prophetic fatherly blessing to the 12 tribes of Israel. Um, It's a prophetic blessing. And it starts out, it says this, the Lord comes from Sinai. Now, in our English translations, it's past tense. A lot of times it'll say the Lord came from Sinai little bit of technical um, details here. In the Hebrew, the word came, come, comes. It's in the Hebrew perfect verbal tense, which means this. You can translate it past tense, future tense, ongoing, or like even future tense, like he will come. And translators choose tense in the English. They choose, is it going to be past you know, He came, comes, will come. Which is it? based on the context. So they look at this passage and they go, well, it's talking about God coming from Sinai. It must be talking about the Exodus. It clearly uses Exodus language. The problem is this is a prophecy. It's not speaking past tense. It's a prophecy of the future, and I'll demonstrate that in a minute because that's how Jesus interprets it. That's how the whole New Testament interprets it. So I'm going to read it in future tense as a prophecy. The Lord will come from Sinai. You go, why is he coming from Sinai? Sinai is to the south of Israel, deep down in the desert, modern-day Saudi Arabia, Jordan, you know, you're up here in Jerusalem. Why? I thought he comes to the Mount of Olives. I thought he comes to Jerusalem. He gets there. But the Bible actually says there is a procession from the south, from the desert, when the Messiah returns, and it describes it in tremendous detail. Again, the triumphal procession into Jerusalem is a faint foreshadow of of what is to come, and it's a beautiful picture, and most Christians have never heard it. So it's amazing. To to really parse out the details concerning the return of Jesus, you don't go to the New Testament, you read the story as it has previously been told throughout the Old Testament, throughout the prophets. The New Testament simply just takes these things, it's just an assumption. Yeah, well, the prophets have already described it. So we'll see that in a minute. So the Lord will come from Sinai. He will dawn on them from Sierra. Sierra is just another m- prominent, massive mountain to the south, modern-day Jordan. He will shine forth from Mount Paran. So it uses the language of the rising of the sun, of the shine, like the sun, when it rises, it's shining, radiating over the mountains. The problem is the sun rises in the east. Here is the radiant, shining one coming from the south. He will come from the midst of 10,000 holy ones. That is a motif or a theme that you see applied to the return of Jesus consistently in every passage that the return of Jesus is mentioned throughout the New Testament. At his right hand, it says, Now, notice he has hands. Okay, so this is Yahweh, the Lord, Jehovah, however you want to say it. And he's described as marching from the desert of the Exodus like the greater Moses, and he's got hands. And lightning is shooting out of his hands. You go, whoa. You know, Moses never saw any of the Avengers movies. <laughs> Skipping forward to verse 26 and 27, it says, There is no one like the God of Jeshurun. Jeshurun is just a pet name for Israel, it means my upright ones. There is no one of all the gods of the earth Baal, Marduk, all these, there's no one like Jehovah who rides across the heavens to help you and on the clouds in his majesty. Some translations say he comes on the clouds to save you. And so the the inhabitants of the land of Canaan before, during the Exodus, as they're going in, they worship Baal. And they said, Baal's the storm god. And they said, he is the one that rides on the clouds. And the Israelites came in and they're like, oh really, your god rides on the clouds, does he? Because we've just seen him for the past 40 years in the pillar of cloud leading us. Like, Yahweh is the cloud rider. Your God is a pathetic demon. And he's all talk. We've actually seen him leading us, saving us. And so they call Yahweh the cloud rider. The eternal God is your refuge. And underneath are the everlasting arms. He will drive out your enemies before you. So you've got all of this language. He comes back to save you. He will destroy your enemies. He comes on the clouds. He comes in glory, shining, radiating like the morning sun. He comes from 10,000 of his holy ones. So let's look at just some of the themes or the motifs. Go to the next uh, bullet points here. So the Lord will come. Yahweh will come from heaven, okay, in human form. He's got hands Other passages will describe him as marching. He comes on the clouds. He is shining like the sun, dawning, radiating over the mountains from myriads of his angels or his holy ones, 10,000 times 10,000, specifically to save his people and to destroy or punish or execute vengeance against his enemies. Look at all of those bullet points. Now here's the first reference, Matthew 16 Verse 27, in the entire New Testament, the first reference, the words of Jesus describing his own return. He says, the son of man, okay, in other words, one, this is referring to Daniel 7, one who looks like a son of man, who, by the way, in Daniel 7 is coming on the clouds. Jesus referred to himself more than any, through any other term, calling himself the son of man. So he's one, he's in anthropomorphic form, he's in human form. He says, the Son of Man is going to come in the glory of his Father, that's shining, radiating light, the glory of his Father with his angels, 10,000 holy ones, and then what does he do? He will repay every man according to his deeds. He will save those that have been waiting and yearning and groaning and crying out and longing for his return, and he will punish the wicked, execute vengeance against the wicked. Save his people, retribution for the wicked. Okay? Okay all uh, literally everything from Deuteronomy 33 he's simply elaborating on and expanding upon here Matthew 25 similarly he describes his own return he says when the son of man comes in his glory first he said in his father's glory here he says in his glory Hebrews says because they sh- their glory is one in the same because they are one in the same and uh, i mean the father is not the son and the son is not the father for clarity i'm not a heretic but you get you get the idea there's one god and all the angels with him. And then, what does he do? After he returns, he's presently sitting at the right hand of the Father, it says in Hebrews, waiting until he makes his enemies a footstool, till he crushes his enemies under his feet. And then after he returns in glory with his angels, then he will sit on his throne of glory, or his glorious throne, which is the throne of his father David. He is not. Jesus is not sitting on his glorious throne yet because he has not returned in glory yet. Okay, so all of the themes throughout the New Testament, you could do a real thorough survey that describe the return of Jesus begin in Deuteronomy 33. And yes, it uses the language of the Exodus when God came down on the mountain in fire and smoke and the blasting of trumpets and all of these things, and then he leads Israel up through the desert. But again, even that, as as majestic and awe-inspiring as that was, that was a faint foreshadow of the ultimate glorious event to come. The God who came down in a thick cloud on the mountain, to to the appearance of the sons of Israel, the mountain was consumed with fire, the trumpets were blasting louder and louder, the mountain shaking and they're begging, Moses, please tell him, like you speak, don't let him speak, we can't bear it. All of that, was a faint foreshadow of the one who's coming back in the clouds, in blazing fire, with the blasting of trumpets, with a mighty earthquake. The return of Jesus is a far greater appearing of God than even what happened at Mount Sinai. And that's saying a lot. And that's the way it's intended to be understood in terms of the importance that the Lord gives it. The exodus, which culminates at Sinai, was huge from a biblical perspective. That's Constantly, the prophets are just talking about that. Remember this so that you'll have confidence for what's yet to come. So we look back to remember, but we're looking forward. So I'm just going to skip forward to the next. There's so many passages throughout the Old Testament that describe this. They build upon Deuteronomy 33. Habakkuk chapter 3, verses 3 through 7. Very similar language. God will come from T-man. He's described as coming from the south. T-man means the self. The Holy One, there it is again, Mount Paran, a prominent mountain today that sits on the border of Jordan and Saudi Arabia. His glory will cover the heavens. Again, glory is just shining radiant light. His praise will fill the earth. His splendor will be like the sunrise. Rays are flashing from his hands where his power is hidden. Plague will go before him. Pestilence will follow in his steps. He's marching through the desert. He stands He will shake the earth, he looks, he makes the nations tremble. The ancient mountains crumbled, the age-old hills collapsed, his ways are eternal. The tents of Cushon are trembling, the dwellings of Midian. What are we dealing with here? So this is what we do as good, solid students of the Bible. You know, we read Old Testament verses, we're like, I saw the tents of Cushan. Cushon, I don't know, some Old Testament name. (laughs) Moving on. Like we don't, you know, we don't... Like, stop. So what's it? it's dealing with the area of modern-day Jordan, Saudi Arabia. That's where Mount Sinai He's coming up from the region south of Israel, and they're trembling. Why? Because the king is there, present in their midst. And plague and pestilence is going before him, and the guy's got rays shooting out of his hands, and that's scary. Sun and moon. I'm skipping forward to verse 11. Sun and moon will stand in their places. They went away at the light of your arrows, at the radiance of your gleaming spear. In indignation, you will march through the earth. So there he is, he's marching, he's got feet. In anger, you will trample the nations. All of the language of until your enemies are a footstool for your feet, the language is of God crushing and trampling his enemies, like stomping them like grapes. You will go forth for the salvation of your people, that's us for the salvation of your anointed ones, this is beautiful, you will strike the head of the house of evil to lay him open from thigh to neck. It's talking about the devil and, yea, his sock puppet that the Bible we refer to as the Antichrist. And in a much smaller way, we could say it's referring to Hillary Clinton. (laughs) Just kidding, I'm just kidding. I'm totally joking you got to break it up here. She is not the man of lawlessness. Isaiah 63, verse 1. You get the point. Insert your most disliked politician here. Isaiah is in Jerusalem, and he's looking south, and he says, who is this? Who is this coming from Edom? Again, Edom is in modern-day Jordan, with his garments glowing the colors of Basra. Basra, again, Uh, toponym, synonym for Jordan. This one who is majestic in his apparel, marching forward in the greatness of his strength, and the Lord responds, he says, it is I, speaking in righteousness, mighty to save. Isaiah goes, well, hold on here. I've seen the pictures of you, Jesus, in the church hallway. I've seen the paintings at the Christian bookstore. You always are sort of portrayed as sort of this Caucasian hippie why are your garments red like someone who's been stomping grapes all day? And he says, despite popular perceptions, I'm much more than just a Caucasian hippie. He says, I have trodden the wine press, the wine trough alone from the nations, from the peoples, no one was with me. The idea is not that he's all alone. The idea is he goes, I didn't do this with the help of the U.S. military. I didn't do this with the help of the Israeli defense forces. It's me, and my armies alone. He says, I trod them down. Who? His enemies. I trod them down in my anger and I trampled them in my wrath. Their lifeblood, their blood spattered and soaked my garments. When Jesus, the bridegroom, returns, he returns soaked in the blood of our enemies and his enemies. He is portrayed consistently throughout the scriptures. Yes, he is the gentle shepherd that leads us beside still waters, and okay, but he is first and foremost portrayed as the divine warrior. Only a divine warrior is going to save us. Okay, Caucasian hippie is not going to do the job. You get the point. There is a day of justice coming, and people don't—they get uncomfortable with that. They're like, "Jesus is violent? Yes, he's very violent." It says in Revelation 19, in righteousness. He judges and makes war. There's a time for war. And in an age of such wickedness, that is what is required to correct the current state of affairs. I stained all of my garments. Why? Because the day of vengeance was in my heart and the year of my redemption has finally come. There is a yearning, a longing in all of us for justice, for righteousness to be established. You know, for unbelievers, they go, well, we just evolved, you know, through this dumb process. We sloughed off all of the things that were unnecessary for life. And after millions of years, we've reached this point now where humanity, you know, we don't have any useless appendages because they're not conducive to attracting the opposite sex. You know, like if I just had a hand right here, whatever, like those things fell away. That's what they say, like. And I go, okay, so you explain it all by this, why is it that we all yearn and groan and have a deep, even the unbelievers, even Antifa. I mean, you know what I mean? There's something in us that's yearning for justice. It's yearning for something that this world cannot provide. And the only message in the world that has an answer is the Bible, and the message concerning the day of the Lord. If there's not a day of justice, this entire thing is a giant, colossal, cosmic nightmare. But there is a day of justice coming when all of the wrongs and injustices will be reversed. And the just judge will sit on the throne. And all of our deeds will be exposed and laid bare. We're saved by the blood of, the, of Jesus. But we will be judged according to our faithfulness. We will be um, rewarded or our lack of rewards, our position in the age to come. Think of this life as an internship. And our faithfulness matters. It's important to qualify. The uh, internet histories of everyone will be shouted from the rooftops. (laughs) Psalm 68, 1 through 4. Again, David describing the glorious procession the triumphal procession of the king. He says, he starts out, he says, let God arise. What does he mean? Let him get up off of his throne and come down and save us. Let God arise. May his enemies be scattered. May his foes flee before him. I love this um, psalm, by the way. I was raised nominally Catholic. And uh, I did somebody go, ooh. Um, (laughs) I was raised nominally Catholic. And I never, like... To me, and forgive me, but like the the Catholic liturgy, it just feels real effeminate, like effeminate, like in the unity (laughs) of the Holy Spirit, forever and ever. (sighs) (laughs) But the. I like, I kind of have a liking for the Eastern Orthodox, because you get these big, deep-throated Russian guys with big beards, and they get up and they're just like, "Uh." and they love Psalm 68. Let God arise, may his enemies be scattered. They're in this dark, smoky dungeon with candles. May you blow them away like smoke as wax melts before the fire. Let the wicked perish. You know, like, if you, if you go on Apple Music or whatever, there's all kinds of, like, Eastern Orthodox, Greek-Russian monks chanting Psalm 68. Let the wicked perish before you, O oh God. So I, I, whenever I read this, I, I always hear these guys. It's like whenever I read Revelation, I hear Johnny Cash, you know. <laughs> Behold, a white horse. But may the righteous be glad and rejoice before God. May they be happy and joyful. I love the language the prophets use. This age is the age of sighing and sorrow. Not to say there's not plenty of beauty and joy, but the day is coming when it says sorrow and sighing will flee and gladness and joy will overtake us. Overtake us. I love it. Sing to God. Sing praise of his name. Extol who? The one who rides on the clouds. That's talking about the return of Jesus. Rejoice before him. His name is the Lord. Extol him who rides on the clouds. Skipping forward to verse 6 through 8. He will lead forth the prisoners with singing. One minute... This is, this is literal, by the way. So we as Christians, we read these things, and you know, we, we kind of dance, and we're like, yay, you set us free, you know, like, whatever. Like, you know, I was, an, I was an addict, you know, I was given over to anger, but now I'm free, and now I'm singing, and you're know, like, that works. But in the original context, it's literal. He's setting prisoners of war free from the time of the tribulation, Where many of the inhabitants of the land of Israel, it describes them being taken as captive. He sets them free. One minute they're in prison, the next minute they're singing and they're joining the king as he makes procession up to Jerusalem. That's what it's describing. Oh God, when you will, go out before your people when you march through the deserts. Again, Isaiah just described it. Who is this marching up through Basra? The earth will shake, the heavens will drip rain at the presence of God. Sinai itself will move at the very presence of God, the God of Israel. The Lord gives the command. I love this. The women who proclaim the good tidings are a great host, and they're shouting, kings of armies flee! So as the majestic one is marching up through the desert, generals and kings are fleeing, armies are fleeing. Like, you know... (coughs) Have you seen this guy? He's shooting lasers out of his hands. You know, like they're fleeing. We have seen your procession, O God, the procession of my God, my King, into the sanctuary. He's making his way up to Jerusalem. The singers will go before them, the musicians following after. Among them are the maidens playing tambourines. In which case, I have to take everything back that I said, saying that he's not a hippie. Because you got you get all the the hippies in the back with the tambourines no but i love it that the worship leaders are going before him the singers you know think of something out of like lord of the rings this army with banners and there's singers going before him and i mean there's everything here it's like if you're into the war movies there's a lot of bloodshed if you're into musicals there's singing you know, like it's, you know, like, it's just this beautiful picture with a little bit of something for everyone. It's, it's, it's an incredible picture. Isaiah 35, 2 through 4. We will see, again, with our eyeballs. That day is coming, as real as this moment is real. Like, we're physically here in our bodies. We won't just think about Jesus, sing about Jesus, close our eyes in a We will see the glory, the shining, radiant light of the Lord, the majesty of our God. Isaiah says, encourage those that are exhausted. How many people in the room are exhausted? Strengthen those that are weak, those that are feeble. Say to those that struggle with anxiety, take courage, be encouraged. Fear not, why? Because your God is coming with vengeance, with the recompense, with the justice of God, and he is going to save us. That day is coming. That is biblical hope. That's the good news. I love it. Zechariah nine fourteen through 16, the Lord will appear over them. In the sky, his arrows will go forth like lightning. The Lord God will blow the trumpet. And here it again. here it is again, describing this march. He will march in the storm winds of the south he's coming from the south the lord of hosts will defend them the lord their god will save them in that day i'm going to read a quote from first enoch to be clear enoch is not scripture there's a lot of people that are really getting into a lot of extra biblical books these days i call it youtube christianity you know there's a lot of interesting books that were very popular that were influential in the first century, but they did not make it into the canon for a reason. And we need to trust when Jesus said to his disciples, I'm going away, but I'm going to send another, the Holy Spirit, and he will guide you into all truth, that when these flawed men later prayed and sought the Holy Spirit and, and discerned which books make it into the canon, that the Lord indeed was faithful to his promise to guide us into all truth. Enoch did not make it. It almost did. So it's a kind of an interesting discussion, but I just want to be clear, this is not Scripture. I'm reading it next to Scripture. It's not Scripture, but it was a very influential book in the first century. Jesus would have been very familiar with it. Verse 4 through 7, The Great Holy One, that's the Lord, will come forth from his dwelling in heaven. The eternal God will tread from there upon Mount Sinai. He's starting all the way down there in Sinai. He will appear with his armies. Myriads of his holy ones. Enoch is almost quoting Deuteronomy 33. He will appear with his mighty host from the heaven of heavens. All the watchers, these are the principalities. They're not just angels. They are divine beings. They're not God. They're created beings. But the Bible in um, both Daniel and some of the extra biblical literature refers to them as the watchers. Paul calls them principalities. They will fear and quake. And those who are hiding in the ends of the earth will sing. That's us. We're, we're in our bunkers with our tri-tip and whatever else. I was joking. I watched the cartoon. I don't watch a lot of, I mean, for some, my wife is sick and she goes to bed early. And um, I don't watch a lot of TV because I try to save it so she and I can watch it together. So I watch reruns of King of the Hill. Um, LAUGHTER and there's this episode just the other day that cracked me up, so Dale, who is the bug exterminator conspiracy theorist, he's down in his basement, and he's preparing for the end times, and he has, so he has a big shelf of cartons of Marlboros. <laughs> so he's prepared, and he has a 55-gallon drum pressurized Mountain Dew. <laughs> and then he says he's breeding um, gerbils for meat. And his wife comes down, and she goes, "Sug, I hate to break it to you, because you got two obviously, to breed them. And she goes, one of them there, gerbils, is a hamster. And he goes, you mock me now, woman, but you'll be begging me for gerbster. <laughs> so those that are hiding in the ends of the earth, they come out and they're singing because the king has returned. And then great trembling and fear will seize the watchers unto the ends of the earth, and there will be judgment on all. With the righteous, however, he will make peace. Over the chosen there will be protection, and upon them there will be mercy. By the way, this is just a side note. Enoch was not a pre-tribulation. He didn't believe in a pre-tribulational rapture. Just kind of a side note. He clearly believed that the church would go through the great trials at the end of the age, but he says, upon them will be mercy. Again, that doesn't matter. Don't let it affect you, but it is interesting that such a clear, influential um, book in the first century had no, I had no concept of a pre tribulational rapture. I didn't even ask pastor what he believed, so i may may not may, may not may not I may not see you next service but it's just a side note I'm not pushing anything when I'm in someone's house. I try to respect that man's house. They all will belong to God he will grant them his good pleasure he will bless them he will help them and then it this is the part of Enoch that ends up in the New Testament in the book of Jude, verse 14 and 15. Jude quotes Enoch, Behold, look, he comes with myriads of his holy ones to execute judgment on all, to destroy all the wicked and convict all of humanity for all the wicked deeds that they have done and the proud and harsh words that the wicked sinners have spoken against him. So it's he to destroy the wicked for their wicked deeds and all their wicked words. So this is, again, talking about the... Uh, Democrats. Just kidding, just kidding. Totally kidding, guys. Paul, in 2 Thessalonians, he describes the return of Jesus. He says he's coming back to give relief, to give relief to those of us who are afflicted when the Lord Jesus will be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire. All of the language of the Old Testament as it describes all of these things is just appropriate in the new it's the new testament is not teaching anything new along these lines it knows his name is yeshua is jesus but the story the painting has already been painted it's this glorious procession and he makes his way up to jerusalem psalm 102 you will arise and have compassion on zion for it is time the time has come we will not wait forever we will not wait forever. The appointed time has come. The Lord will look down from his sanctuary, from heaven, to hear the groans of the prisoners, to release. And he goes, now's the time. I'm going to go set them free. And that's yes, that's spiritual, but it's also literal. Zephaniah 2.7, the Lord their God will intervene for them. He will return their captives. Joel Joel 3.1, behold, in those days and at that time, when I bring back the captives of Judah in Jerusalem, Ezekiel 39 25 now I will bring back the captives of Jacob and have mercy on the whole house of Israel and I will be jealous for my holy name Isaiah 35 verse 10 the ransomed of the Lord will return they will enter Zion with singing again the reversal of our oppressed condition one minute they're prisoners, next minute they are breaking out in uncontainable, joyful, rejoicing and singing with their king as they enter Jerusalem. Everlasting joy will crown our heads. Because Paul says when Christ is revealed, we will be revealed with him from heaven. Right? So regardless as to you know, where you believe the rapture is, the bottom line is when he comes back, we're with him, period. Amen. All of us. This is it. Gladness and joy will overtake us. I don't know, something about that language. For, I'm a former stupid, you know, drug user. I know what it's like to take something, and 30 minutes later, ooh, you know, like it overtakes you, like you're on a ride whether you like it or not. It's the language, is like irresistible. Gladness and joy, you know, that giddiness that you felt when you were... You know, the day before third grade or you're going to Disney World with your family and, you know, you're wired, you're hyper. Like little kids, like as adults, we don't often feel that level of excitement. Gladness and joy will just overwhelm us. Sorrow and sighing of this current age will be a thing of the past. It will be forgotten. It will flee away. I love that in an age of so much all the kids nowadays they're you know they're like 11 and they're like dealing with horrific anxiety because they you know they're just their brains are wired they've just been raised by youtube and ipads and things and sorrow and sighing will flee away i just i love it psalm 118 as he enters jerusalem as he comes up the king says open to me the gates of righteousness and i will go through them i will praise the lord this is the gate of the lord through which the righteous one shall enter. Psalm 24, lift up your heads, O you gates, that the king of glory may come in. Who is this king of glory? It is the Lord, strong and mighty. Do you hear that, Jehovah's Witnesses? He's not just a prophet. It is the Lord himself, mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O you gates. Lift them up, you ancient doors, that the king of radiant, shining light may enter the city. And then finally, Zephaniah. Look, I'm just pulling out random passages throughout the Old Testament that sort of pertain to this time. I could look at 50 more. It's everywhere. The return of Jesus is everywhere throughout the Old Testament. And we go, well, like I, I never realized it was everywhere. It is, and it's beautiful. Zephaniah 3 14 through 15, and then verse 17 Sing, O daughter of Zion, shout. O Israel, be glad and rejoice with all your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem, because the Lord has taken away your judgments. He has cast out your enemy. The King of Israel, the Lord, is now present on the ground, feet on the ground. He is in your midst. You will see disaster no more. Um, I was just in Hebron five days ago with the commanders of the Israeli Hebron border guards. I just... Before I got up here, read that one of them was just stabbed. Um, today there was an attack. You will see disaster no more. The Lord, Yahweh, your God, is in your midst. He is a victorious warrior. Jesus, Yahweh God Almighty, we'll, we will see him with our eyes. A victorious warrior. Not only are we singing, not only are the delivered captive singing, it says he will rejoice over, that's us, with gladness. He will quiet us with his love, and he will rejoice over us with singing. Everybody's, everybody's going to be singing, him included. This is our future. This is, this is our inheritance. This is our promise. This is part and parcel of the gospel. I love, I just. I hope it's good that we talked about it today. We can look back at the triumphal procession. It's a beautiful thing, but there is a much greater, more beautiful, glorious triumphal procession that's coming. It is our destiny, guys. We need to think about these things, meditate. This needs to become part of our emotional daily like encouragement, pick me up, because it's gonna get darker. It's gonna get more difficult. It will become more chaotic. And if you haven't gotten out of California yet, it's too late. Just kidding, (laughs) I'm just kidding. I'll see you over in Kansas City. We got plenty of wheat and Mountain Dew and whatnot. So, Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your gospel. We thank you for your promises. We thank you for Galt. Thank you for Horizons Community Church. Thank you for Pastor Tim and the elders. Thank you for this body. We ask that your presence would rest on this house, that, that this house would continue to be a lighthouse and call people in gather people into this family, salvation, a refuge, in ark from the coming storm. We ask that you would burn the excitement and the reality of of the story that you've told into our hearts and that we would walk, that as we walk, we would carry it and we would with exuberance and excitement, share it and call others into the house as well. We thank you for all of these things in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.
0: Well, Joel will be, you're going to be out by your books? Sure, yep. Signing away. Um, so pick up a book tonight, 5 o'clock to 7 o'clock, or however long he goes. Uh, there'll be a Q&A time, too. So if you want, yeah, so bring your questions. You know, how many angels can actually dance on the head of a pin, maybe, stuff. Uh, but... Anything to deal with prophecy, he's a well learned man. And I've, I've enjoyed his videos. I learn something every single time he opens his mouth on video. So uh, I encourage you to pick up a book. Be back here at, at 5 tonight. Guys, God bless you. Have a fantastic day. Thanks for
1: tuning in to Horizon Community Church's podcast. Our hope and prayer is that wherever you are, you would be encouraged by this message and be equipped to face any challenges that come your way. More information about Horizon can be found at www.horizonweb.org.